and it describes some of the deepest theological points you could ever hope to know. We were created in the image of God, and our sin marred that image, and it's only through the Holy Spirit living within us that that image can be partially restored in this life until we're together with Him in heaven. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at what should be a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture to many of us. And we're going to try to go through the entire chapter this morning and uh, have you on your way home before 3 or 4 this afternoon so you can get back for tonight. And uh, But uh, James chapter 1 is a chapter that every Christian must deal with at one time or another. And uh, your life will be described in this chapter, either in the negative or the positive. And uh, our prayer is today that we can get on the right side of these things. As we start, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Now, the title for this message comes basically from uh, verse 2 here, and uh, I'm usually not one for fancy and catchy titles and things, but dealing with circumstance. How many times somebody says, how are you doing? Well, uh, as best as can be expected under the circumstance. I mean, that's an honest answer to that question. Sometimes we just choose to lie and paste a smile on our face and say, fine. Others, uh, do you have six or seven hours? I'd just like to tell you about everything that's going on. And, uh, of course, the Bible is very plain. We ought not lie. Amen. But it's not very pleasant to hear someone's life history and every pain and ache and bodily problem over the last 25 years. Uh, It's not bad if you're trying to get to know somebody, but every time you meet them, it gets a little tiresome, doesn't it? But as Christians, should we live according to circumstance? When this verse right here says that we're to count it all joy... When we fall into diverse temptations. Now that word divers has nothing to do with the guys with the funny suits and the that's not talking about that. It's the old English word for diverse or different, many faceted trials. And um how many are familiar with the phrase? Well when it rains it pours. What they're saying is, when a few problems come down, it's not just a few, it's like the cloud burst. And people say, well, pastor, it's just coming at me from every direction. Well, these are modern ways of saying diverse temptations. It's coming at me in every different direction. I feel like I'm at the Alamo. Uh, I've been surrounded They've given that bugle call that says no quarter. 
if I stay, I die. If I leave, I die. I'm in trouble. And yet, James tells us that we're supposed to rejoice. How many of you are happy when something awful happens? Okay, that's not what this is talking about either. I've met some people that are happy when something awful happens. And they got bigger problems than the people who are sad when something awful happens. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Uh, I mean, if somebody is really pleased when someone else is suffering, they've got problems. And sometimes we read over this passage and it says, listen, when I fall into divers' temptations, when everything around me is falling in, I'm supposed to be happy and jumping up and down for joy. That doesn't make sense. Well, let me tell you, the Bible doesn't need to make sense, but this is the answer to dealing with circumstance. And so what we have to do is we have to go to the Word of God and let the Word of God explain to us what is being spoken of here and give us direction. And the first thing that we're going to see, if we're going to rejoice when we fall into diverse temptations, if we're going to be able to have peace in our heart when everything around us is going wrong, we're going to have to have, and and I... Uh, alliterated the sermon this morning, so these aren't the Bible words, but it'll help. I think you'll see this here. Number one, we must have a proper perspective. Now, I play with my reading glasses excessively when I preach, but there are certain times when the words go fuzzy in my Bible, and I just have to have something here to give me a proper perspective so I can read. And other times I look down at that page, if I'm far enough away, I can read it plain. Uh, The problem is the arm's getting too short. And uh, so uh, when I build the new pulpit, we'll make it so it moves up and down so I can... No, we won't do that. But how many of you have been in a situation where you thought you understood what was going on? You thought you knew what was happening... And you planned your life according to what you thought and what you perceived as truth, only to find out you had no idea what was going on. Anybody else ever been there? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. You see, the easiest thing to have happen when you experience pain, whether it's emotional or physical, is to focus on the pain. Now, God made our bodies that way on purpose. How many of you have ever put your hand down on something hot? And before you could feel the heat, you jerked your hand away and then you realized that was hot. Anybody else ever done that? If you do, you have normal reflexes. Uh, The simple truth is God designed your body to feel those things and process it very quickly, and to draw away from it before you leave your hand on that hot item and get a burn. Most of the time, you'll just have a little red mark, even if it's very hot. Because God designed our bodies that way physically. Spiritually, we have to have a proper focus. We have to be able to see 
correctly, and here's what we ought to be seeing. Look at verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Do we have any patient people here today? Anybody raised their hand and said, I'm a very patient person. I, I would accuse you of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness to lies. But how many of you like to be around patient people? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful when someone is patient with you and teaches you and trains you and gives you information that you need and you're all frustrated and flabbergasted and I don't know if that's a real word or not, but it describes the situation pretty well. And someone just says, now just a minute. Calm down. Relax. Let's look at this situation for what it really is. Don't you love it when somebody does that for you? Uh, As a Christian, don't you think you have the responsibility to grow enough to do that for someone else? Amen? But if you're all caught up, If you are worried, and by the way, uh, before we go on, maybe we should just make this point. Uh, There's enough diverse temptations in all of our lives to overwhelm any one of us on any given day. Would we agree with that? Hello? I I think we ought to. uh, Because there's not a one of us that live life without struggle. And I'm not trying to be cute this morning or or rude in any way or demean people who have serious mental and emotional problems. But if you want a place where there's no problem, it's, it's literally that padded cell where everybody comes in and they feed you nice things on time and they give you medication when you need it and they don't, you don't have to worry about anything because you can't think about anything. And how many of you want to live like that? Not me. And so if we're going to live in life, we're going to have to deal with problems. Everybody has them. Do you think the aborigines living in the outback have no problems? Let me tell you, they got them. Uh... Do the people living in the dark jungles have no problems? Is there any place you can go on earth to find peace and quiet and absolute uh, no problems facing you in any direction? Uh, Let me tell you why you'll never find that place. Because when you get there, you will be there. And you're going to bring your problems with you. And it's a good thing we can laugh about that. Because if we couldn't, we'd have to cry now, wouldn't we? You see, God's got a purpose for problems. That's what we need to see. It says that these trials, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You find a patient person 
I will promise you that person has suffered much. That's what makes patience. The definition then of an impatient person is one who can stand no suffering. Do you get it? Why do I have to stand in line? Because I'm impatient. I can't suffer standing in line. Now, it says that these trials, the trying of your faith, works patience. Have you ever seen anything beautiful that did not take a lot of work? Do you think those paintings, and I'm not talking about the weird ones. I'm talking about the ones that actually look like something. You can recognize that there's a person in that picture. I don't need someone to interpret it for me. Uh, That is George Washington. I can recognize him. Have you ever seen some of those beautiful old paintings? Do you know that they took months and some of them over a year, sometimes years even, to finish all of those paintings? Just one. Why? Because nothing that is worth anything happens immediately. When these people make these beautiful sculptures. And again, let's not get the gross, perverse, evil ones. I mean, let's the ones that are beautiful, one that actually look like something. That doesn't happen in a minute. They've got to work on that painfully and carefully. Knowing this first. By the way, have you ever seen a beautiful car? I mean, you can see the glow a half block away. Let me, let me tell you, I, I used to paint buses and things for the church. Nothing I did was beautiful, but I mean, it was there. But I, I watched some really fine stuff go on. And I mean, I'll tell you what, six and eight coats of paint and hand rubbed in between and None of this machine stuff. I mean, still, even to this day, if you want one of those things, you've got to labor by hand for it. These trials work patience. Nothing that is tested comes without problems. I mean, aren't you glad the FDA tests those medications before they give them to you? And you can talk all you want about cruelty to animals, but I'd rather have cruelty to animals than cruelty to people. Amen? Uh, There's enough of that that goes on. It's got to be tested. But look at verse 4. It says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you want God to do His perfect work, if you want to be one of those people that's able to help other people, if you want to be able to rise above your circumstance, number one, you've got to look at that circumstance as the way God looks at it. He's chiseling off the sharp edges. Sometimes He puts you in a situation 
Because he wants you to pray. By the way, does prayer change God? Is God like a big slot machine that you have to put so many prayer coins in and pull the handle and hopefully it comes up right? That's not the God of the Bible. That's an invention of mankind. That's why you see these things in the paper. Pray this prayer seven times every day. Publish it in the paper and it always works. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you, God is not a slot machine God. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. And He puts trouble in our life. Now, you have to understand something. If you decide you're going to go out and play in traffic, uh, you may reap the benefits of your really wrong decision. But how many of you got enough problems already without having to add to them? Isn't that true? God sends these circumstances because he wants, our, he wants us to get our eyes off ourselves and realize there's something bigger than you. And I could just give you illustration after illustration of this. Just one more because I want to make sure we got this first because if we don't lock this in, the rest of it's not going to make sense. In the Bible, you've got to go through step by step. How many of you are glad for some of the feats of our American military special forces guys and women? I mean, it's amazing. But have you ever seen what they go through in training? Well, I was at the meeting in Texas. Um, one of the preachers there, he showed me these pictures on his cell phone. He said, he said I, I drove past the uh, place where they train the Navy SEALs. He said, look at these pictures I took. And here was a, like four or five different groups of guys. And they have these wooden poles that are about this big around about 20 foot long. And they put one platoon or one, one small group of guys on each pole and they have to go through all of their exercises holding on to that pole. They will run for miles holding on to that pole. And then they'll sit down after they've run holding that pole and lay it across all of their chest and do group sit-ups lifting that pole every time do you know why they have to do that? Because when they get in battle, they won't have time to think. They won't have time to sit down and conference with each other. They will have to act as one individual or they're all going to die. And so we put them through that training. And if you hear heard some of our Military personnel talk about their experiences in the war. Some of them have actually said this. Boy, I'm glad the real thing wasn't as tough as the training was. I said, boy, there's, there's something there. And here's what God's doing. He says, I'm going to put you through some things. Because if you can't go through this, you're going to fold later. But... If you'll let patience have her perfect work, you will be perfect and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. Now, we all like that verse now, don't we? 
But are you willing to go through the circumstance, the adversity, the difficulty, the trials to get there? Can you look at this problem that you are facing as something that God has given you to shape you and direct you and make you the person that He needs you to be? Amen? First of all, you've got to have the right perspective. If all you're doing is looking at your pain, you're never going to get through. If you'll take your eyes off yourself and put them on God. Now, verse 5, if you can't start verse 3 and verse 2, here's verse 5, here's the answer. You are unwise. If any of you lack wisdom, why is that verse in there? Is this a disconnected thought? No. If you cannot see and let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing, it's because you don't have enough wisdom to understand what's going on around you. Now see, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is what to do with the facts. You ever met anybody that's just a traveling dictionary? Like Peter? I mean, he has a plethora of information on any given subject. He is well read. And some of you think I'm joking, but you'll get to meet him here in a little while. He's coming back in June, and uh, he's worse now than he was before. But it's a good thing. You need to have information. I mean, if you don't know what's going on, I mean, we have a word for it. It's just called plain stupid. Uh, Don't do that. But you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know what to do with it, what good does it do you? See, that's where wisdom comes in. You see, we can know what the Bible says that I'm supposed to rejoice, that I'm supposed to look at this difficult situation I am facing and realize that God has put it there because He is shaping me and making me the person that I need to be. That patient person that everybody wants to be around. That person that is not lacking some huge part in their life. You ever met anybody like that? Say, man, they're really good, except, whoa, when it comes to... You've got to let God's trials do their work. And if you're so upset about the trial that it never does its work, you're never going to get anywhere. You have to have a proper perspective, but you have to have a proper perception of reality. You ever met anybody that could not really perceive reality? They didn't know what was going on? I met a guy one time. I've used him for an example before. He thought he was James Dean. The only problem was he was five foot two. He was bald. And he looked nothing like James Dean. But when he said to me, he said, when I look in the mirror, I see James Dean. I'm going to say, what would you do? Paint him on the mirror? I I said, there's nothing... There's nothing about you that is in common with James Dean. And why would anybody want to have anything in common with James Dean? Anyway, I don't know. 
But the simple truth of the matter is, if you can't understand what's going on around you, nobody can help you. That's the problem with an alcoholic, is they can't understand they're an alcoholic or a drug addict. Many times they just cannot comprehend the addiction. It's not a disease, my friend. Alcoholism is a sin. Sins can be dealt with. You can't, if it was a disease, you'd be able to give them a pill and everything would be fine. Isn't that the way it works with real diseases? You can't do that with sin. You have to understand that you lack wisdom. But there's a place where you can get wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, if you can't see that these circumstances are a gift from God putting you in His direction, ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given Him. This idea, have you ever asked for somebody and they go, why do you want that? That's upbraiding. God's never going to do that when we ask for wisdom. Because He wants to give us wisdom so that we can see things His way, not our way. Now, I'm going to give you one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, and it wasn't actually just uh, uh, one of the reasons I'm preaching this sermon this morning. It's because of verse 6. It says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of God. Now, I've read this verse, and I've heard preachers talk about it, and I've heard other people and say, yeah, you got to have faith. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and it still doesn't work. That's not faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and what? That not of yourselves. Faith does not come from you. It is not a feeling inside. I just believe like something good is about to happen. And you get a letter from the IRS. Let me tell you, it is not just this stupid, hope-so, empty, it's just going to get better, it's got to, it can't get any worse. Would you like to wager on that? It can get worse, my friend. If any man asks in faith, what is faith? Faith is believing God's Word. How do you get saved? You believe God's Word about yourself. Amen? That you're a sinner on your way to hell. You believe God's Word about God, that His Son paid the price for every sin that was ever sinned, and that He'll give you that gift if you'll just receive Him. Isn't that wonderful? When is the last time you found yourself in a set of circumstances or pressing you out of measure is what Paul said, where he despaired even of life. He said, even if we survive this thing, we've lost. Now that's pretty far down, isn't it? Let him ask in faith. Will you ask God to give you wisdom 
so that you can understand enough about this book to ask God for something that he has written down. That's the prayer of faith. You see, when you get saved, when you finally put your trust in faith, give up struggling and trying to be good enough and give up on yourself. When you put your faith in God and He saves you, He does it when you give up and say, God, your word says you'll save me if all I do is ask and I'm asking you. He saves you, doesn't He? Uh, we shouldn't approach any circumstance in life any different than how we get our salvation. God, will you give me enough wisdom to pray according to your word? Because if you do not pray according to God's word, don't you think that God's going to give you anything because God will never transgress his word. Amen? God is never going to go against what is written down. And if I'm going to pray in faith, I've got to find out what the Bible says about my situation and pray that what's in the Bible will happen. And by the way, if I'm doing that, don't you think that I have surrendered the enormity and the pain of the circumstance to the holiness of God? And I'm understanding that this is here because God wants to do, accomplish something in my life to make me more like His Son. You see, when I pray according to the Word of God, I can know that He's going to answer that prayer. Now, how do I pray according to the Word of God? Well, let's just take verse 5. Lord... I don't have enough wisdom because this set of circumstances that I'm facing right now, I, I'm not happy about them at all. Uh, I'm, I am not, uh, I can't rejoice, I, can't, I cannot see this thing as a gift that you have given me to change me and make me what you ought to be. I don't have enough wisdom, but your word says to ask for it. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to change my perspective and my perception so I can understand what's going on in life your way and not my way. Does that sound like wisdom? Do you think God will look at you and say, I don't want to answer that prayer? Now, maybe you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation or maybe you know you're not saved. And there's just some things going on inside and you say, I want to, but I, I just can't get there. Well, wait a minute. Let's go back and try this. Let's ask God for some wisdom. God, will you let me see myself for who I am? Now, that's a scary prayer, let me tell you. Because God will answer it. But you're not going to like the answer. Because when you finally can look in that mirror and see who and what you are, it's going to bring you to the point of insanity. Because we like to believe good things about ourselves, don't we? Our whole society is built on believing good things about ourselves. The number one rule of American patriotism Americans are basically good people. The number one rule of God's Word for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
There is none righteous, no, not one. Those are some of the nicer passages. It says that we're enemies with God. You wonder why things aren't going right if you're not saved. You're fighting against God whether you believe you are or not because until you surrender to Him and accept His mercy as the vanquished, as the defeated one, you can't be saved. But you need to pray and say, God, let me see myself the way you see me. You see, verse 8 is one of our greatest problems of today. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You ever seen a two-headed snake? They're not common, but they are around. Any good museum will have an example of such a thing. It'll literally be two snakes that are fused together somewhere down into the main part and they'll have two fully functioning heads. Now, one thing I can tell you about this is most of those examples are going to be very small because when it comes time to shed their first skin, they can't do it. And without shedding that skin, they can't grow and they die. How many of you remember... Well, I'm not even going to go there. I was going to say Dr. Doolittle's Push Me, Pull Me, but then they made a dirty version of that from the old kid version. Richard Pryor, some nutcase. But if you had two brains, could you accomplish anything? No. Because you would spend the whole time conflicting one with another. And yet, How many times God has been good to me. I have not heard this in a long time. That's your truth. Oh, don't ever tell me that. Because truth can't be yours, my friend. And it can't be mine. If truth belongs to an individual, then it no longer is truth. It is just something you want to accept as truth. Truth is truth because it is, not because you make it truth. Are we together on that? You see, a double-minded man is someone who is accepting something uh, that is a lie as truth on this side and trying to accept truth as truth on this side, and there's going to be eternal and continual conflict. Here's the answer for the double-minded man. It's in James chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, our real thinking does not come from our brain. It comes from our heart. And I wish we had time this morning but uh, to develop that, but even people that have had heart transplants have developed characteristic ways of thinking and desires that belong to the donor. It's amazing. In fact, our surgeons today now, when they transplant a heart, do not even transplant the whole heart. There's a certain section of the heart where all of the nerve impulses come into it 
that they literally cut out and leave in the person, the dead heart, the heart that will no longer function. They leave that portion in because when they transplant that heart and literally sew it together, it works better than it does when they try to transplant the whole heart because that new heart is not made for that body. Now, I'm not against donate organ donors or any of those things. I'm glad for every person whose life has been saved. But what I'm telling you is our scientists are finding out things that the Bible's already said. If you've got two minds, it's because you've got a rotten heart. And only God can cleanse that heart and purify it. And you've got to start there. And then we go on through this passage, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. And most of us like that verse because we're low degree. Hey, it's going to get better. But then the next verse says, but the rich in that he is made low. Now, wait a minute. Well, why should a rich man rejoice in the fact that he's going to lose station? Well, read the next verse. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Now that tells us what he's talking about. He's talking about the rich man that is trusting in his riches. Have you ever met somebody that all they talk about is their money and how they're using it? They're pretty miserable people, let me tell you. But if you can let go of that money or that power or that driving force within you, well, guess what? You're not important anymore. But Jesus is. And He'll exalt you someday when you let go of the great things of this world and embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. All the circumstances of this life are only temporary. That's what the passage is teaching us. You must have a proper perspective. You've got to look at your trials the way God intended you to look at them. You've got to have a proper perception. If you lack, if you cannot understand, if you cannot see things the way God sees things, then you have to judge yourself as lacking wisdom. Go to God and get it. But you want wisdom that is according to His Word, or wisdom in faith, not just plain old wisdom. I mean, there's a lot of smart people out there today. There's a lot of people that know what to do. But if that wisdom is not based on the Scripture and when they stand before God, it's going to be turned into foolishness. And guess what? I don't have to play the rat race anymore. I don't have to work on where I am and what people think of me. I'm going to work on the Savior. But the last part and probably the most difficult is the prosecution. You've got to do something. God didn't just save us to be theological uh, uh, vessels to hold all of this great knowledge. He saved us because He wants us to do something. He wants us to survive the trials of this life. Number one, verses 12 through 16, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. How much 
How many of you have been tempted this week? If you're alive, you've been tempted. If you haven't, if you've locked yourself in a room and have not talked to anybody or done anything, you've still been tempted because your human nature goes with you wherever you go. The Bible says that we must endure temptation because when we're tried, we'll receive the crown of life. It's a promise from God. But there's only one way you can endure temptation. It's got to be God's strength and not yours. How many of you have ever... Oh, it's a beautiful morning. I read my Bible today. I feel spiritually strong. Oh, be careful, my friend. That's when you need to just put a warning uh, uh, light over your on the inside of your glasses or wherever. I mean, you, you need to be careful, more careful then than at any other time. Because the Bible tells us When you think you're standing, you're going to fall. Because you're not trusting the Savior, you're trusting in you. Temptation does not come from God. It comes from you. But deliverance comes from God. Now, we don't have time to build all this up or we'll never get to the end. But the pattern of sin is lust conceives... It brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. And I don't care what sin it is. You can kill yourself with your fork. And I don't mean poking holes in yourself either. Just feeding yourself, indulging in the wrong desires and too much of whatever. You can destroy your your body with what you eat. Does that mean you have to be a health food nut? I hope not. But it does mean that we have to use a little bit of enduring temptation and not just giving in. Amen? There's no such thing as an ice cream diet. I don't care what they say. It's not going to help you. Now, verse 17, we're going to go back and reiterate this point. God always brings back things that are important to us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, how many times have we said, Boy, this is really good, all except for this one little point right here. That didn't come from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. If it's got a hook in it, it's called bait. And you're the one that's going to get caught. I don't care how good it looks. If it's got a hook in it, don't bite. Amen? Stay away. We've got to understand that when God puts something in our life, it is to shape us and draw us closer to Him. But the devil is always there imitating everything that God does because the devil wants to draw us away. See, either you're moving closer to the Father or you're moving closer to the devil. One of the two. 
No one can walk the balance beam forever. Maybe for a little while. But you can't stay on it forever. Read verses 18 through 21. And it talks about how God saves us. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, what he just did in those three verses that we just read is summarize everything from verse 1 all the way up to where we are right now. Verse 22, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to have it memorized, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If no one else will believe your lies, you will. You will believe your lies if you refuse to believe God's truth. That's what it says. If you're not doing what God says, if your life isn't obedient to Him, there is a deception of self that is taking over in your life somewhere, and it will not get less and go away on its own. It must be treated and cut out and removed so that you can surrender totally to God. And here's how it works. For he that beholdeth himself... Look at verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's like the old derelict stopping at the window, at the street, in the, the pane glass window, and looking at his reflection. He sits there and goes. And he turns around and sees his fellow bum. And he says, you know what? I don't look that bad. I'm pretty good. And he goes right on in his degradation. That's what we do when we stop looking into the Word of God. Because I don't care how good you are. When you look into that Word, what are you going to do? You're going to see your sin. I don't care how many years you've been walking with God. When you look into that mirror, you're going to see your sin. What do you do? You confess that sin. You ask God to give you victory over that sin. We go back to verse 12 and realize that there are blessings and there are promises to those who will endure temptation. You cannot lose your salvation if you give in, but you can lose everything else. There are blessings to having the victory over temptation in your life. But if you look into that perfect law of liberty, my friend, if you look into this book, it's going to get rid of your self-deception. It's going to prove the lies that everyone has told you. And you'll be able to see yourself for who you are. But you're going to see one other thing in that mirror that you cannot see in any real mirror on this earth. 
You see, when I look at a real mirror on this earth, what I see is a reflection of myself. When I look into God's mirror, I can see myself for who I am. But if you could just get this picture in your mind, the image of Christ is transposed over us. You see, we walk in His righteousness, not ours, if you're saved. It is His power that allows you to deal with circumstance, not yours. And as I look in that mirror, it talks about in one of Paul's epistles of grace for grace. I'm given His grace so that I can serve Him. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain, is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in affliction, in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I don't know that any one of us in this room can read those two verses and not be convicted of needing God to work in our hearts and lives to be more like these verses talk about. Amen? You see, I've got to see what's going on around me, these circumstances, in a proper perspective that they are God's gift to change me and make me more fit for heaven. I have to have a proper understanding or a proper perception of what's going on around me. If I cannot do that, it's because I lack wisdom. If I'll go to God, He'll give me wisdom, but I must ask Him in faith. I must ask according to His Word or I'm not receiving anything. And the station and my position in this life is only temporary, just like a blade of grass. Let me prepare for eternity. If we spent half the time preparing for eternity, that we would to go out and have a special evening on the town or whatever, things would be different, wouldn't it? But we've got to have a proper prosecution. Let me tell you, let me ask you a question. Are you enduring temptation or are you surrendering to temptation? If you're not enduring temptation, getting out the other side, you need to draw closer to the Savior today. Amen? Because you're not prosecuting, you're not performing those things that God wants you to do. Do you have enough wisdom to understand what's the difference between a perfect and good gift that comes down from God that has no hook in it, no problems, is only going to draw me closer to God? versus that thing that looks really good and it looks like it's going to solve all my problems, but there's a great big hook right in the middle of it. i got to understand that God is the one that does all the saving, but He saved me to do something. And that doing is to be a help to other people around me. It says to visit the fatherless and the widows when in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world.
Those are some pretty high ideals, are they not? But if I'm so consumed with my own affliction, my diverse trials, I will not have any freedom to help anyone else. But God is starting verse 1 to get to verse 27. When I get to verse 27, guess what? I'm going to be a whole different person to be around than in verse 2. Isn't that true? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would take your word and that you would minister it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, that you would help us to think and understand and remember these things, to read over this passage. Lord, my first prayer is for those that are here today and are not sure about their salvation. Lord, we would ask that Holy Spirit would give them freedom to understand who they are. To understand who you are and everything you've done to save them. Lord, we pray for many more that are here today that have given a testimony of salvation. And yet, Lord, there is not a time, uh, none of us live a life that is not overwhelmed by circumstances from time to time. We're human, we're frail. Lord, I just pray that you would allow us to see those circumstances, those diverse circumstances as you would have them, have us to see them, that they're tools in your hand to make us more pleasing to you. That they'll give us that patience that we need and the wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would help us that cannot see and understand that, that we would go to God and ask for wisdom according to your word. We pray for those that are struggling with temptation, that they would understand they must endure it to have the victory. Lord, we pray for others that we'd be able to see the difference between what the devil lays out for bait and the things that you want to give us. That we would be simple and honest. Lord, that we would look in the mirror of your word and see things for as they truly are. But, Lord, I pray that we would see more of Jesus than we do of ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would transform our lives that they may bring pleasing and glory and blessing to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.